At the southern end of the Caribbean archipelago lies a unique little twin island nation of about 1.4 million people. And on the larger of these two islands is a very special neighborhood that over the last century has been home to priests and politicians, mass men and murderers, artists and artisans. In November 2011, this community in Trinidad and Tobago celebrated 100 years of existence. And in commemoration of this historic time and place, some of its residents formed a committee whose purpose was to create a living document that would showcase this neighborhood's history and importance to the rest of the country, the region, the world. In the year 1888, that document is a coffee table book titled Growing Up Woodbrook, a tapestry of then and now. And this podcast is dedicated to the men and women of Woodbrook. It's sung and unsung heroes who helped turn this small community on the northwest peninsula of Trinidad into the most amazing square mile in history. Then it was given to Mr. Boyak, who knew the cultivations and the heart attacks, for you could have seen the cowcats up on the road. Taking the kings up to Orange Grove, but now what a decent locality is the Woodbrook vicinity. Welcome to Growing Up Woodbrook, the podcast. I'm Cecile George, Woodbrook born and raised, and a member of the Woodbrook Residence Committee. And in this, our first episode, Foundation, we'll discover the earliest history of the area that became known as Woodbrook. Let's start at the very beginning. Hello, I'm Valerie Taylor. Valerie Taylor is a noted educator and historian, and a former principal of Bishop Anstey High School. Trinidad has a very interesting pre-Columbian history. And one of the most interesting things is the existence of Banwari man or woman. These are some remains that were found in southern Trinidad that speaks to the existence of a population in Trinidad over 6,000 years ago. While there's some confusion about its correct Aboriginal name, there's no disputing that the island that became known as Trinidad was originally populated by the communities now called the First Peoples. When Columbus arrived on these shores in 1498, he found already resident an entire race of people whom he mistakenly termed Indians, thinking that he had landed in Southeast Asia as he had hoped. We speak about Arawaks and Caribs, however, the literature has been at pains to see that that's a really very shallow distinction. The origin of those who we now call our first peoples is hotly debated. One 16th century theory proposes that some 13,000 years ago, their ancestors walked across the Bering Strait land bridge that connected what is now Western Alaska and Eastern Russia, and subsequently made their way down to the Southern continent and up the Caribbean island chain. Meanwhile, a 20th century theory proposes that early humans might have sailed east across from the South Pacific Islands into the New World. And the various First Nations themselves have their own creation stories. Raoul Simon belongs to the Warao people, 
and is the first shaman of San Fernando. Our ancestors originated in the Orinoco, in Venezuela. When they came up the Orinoco and they came into the Gulf of Paris, they set up villages in certain areas close to the hill and close to the sea. Actually, Gulf of Paria was a swamp before, and there is still evidence there of it because when you go out, even as far as far along, there is mud to the bottom rather than sand. When the ice age took place and it melted, that gush of water came from and crossing to the mainland. That is how Trinidad and Tobago get separated from the mainland. The Aboriginal peoples freely moved between the South American mainland and Trinidad, and Trinidad and the other islands. In fact, many areas of Trinidad were considered sacred to the first peoples and were sites of pilgrimage and ceremonies to native ancestral spirits. There was a land bridge between Cedros, one of the small villages on the northwest side of Venezuela, where you could have walked from Trinidad to Venezuela. And there was also one from Sakazakari to Carpal. And over the years, they have traveled to Trinidad to perform the ceremonies on Navarino Hill, which is the northern sacred mountain. The southern sacred mountain is in Mount Hiroshima in Venezuela. It's two significant artifacts for the indigenous world. According to Dutch cultural anthropologist Dr. Airy Boomert, there were at least six tribal groups who spoke languages belonging to three linguistic families, Arawakan, Taliban, and Waraowan. Right where, where they had the mingling of different groups in intermarriage, but they, they retained their language. That is why all survived. We have the Tainos, we have the Kalinaros, which they call Karak. The Tainos speak Arawakan language. Arawak is not a people. And from mixing from tribe to tribe, you get different names like Shagwani, which is Shagwanas, Aruka, Dabadi, Manzalena. So each of these areas house a different group of people. But the main an estimate done in the 1590s arrived at a surprisingly sizable native population. We were told that there were about 40,000 of them living on the island, but they were a very mobile group. This was the situation that Columbus stumbled upon in 1498. Records from Gran Canaria Island off the northwest coast of Africa show that Columbus left Spain with six ships on the 30th of May, 1498. Three of those were loaded with provisions. The other three held arms and men. Columbus sent the three provision ships directly to Hispaniola for the Spanish colony that had been established there on his first two voyages and headed further south with the other three. Contrary to popular belief, these ships were not the legendary Nina, Pinta, and Santa Maria de la Inmaculada Concepcion. That original Santa Maria was wrecked off the coast of Haiti in 1492, and the Pinta was never heard of again after 1493. The names of these ships of 1498 were the flagship Santa Maria de Guia and the two caravels, La Pequeña and El Correo. 
This is where he sighted the southern range with the three hills that allegedly gave the country its name. He proceeded along the southern coast and entered the Gulf of Paria via the Serpent's Mouth Channel. Seeking fresh water, he landed on what is now the Ikakos Peninsula. Over the course of the next two weeks, he and his crew encountered natives both on the island and the South American mainland, before heading back north to the colony at Hispaniola. Because of fierce resistance from these original inhabitants, the Spanish found it difficult to gain a foothold on the island for most of the 16th century. In fact, the cacique, or native chief of the northwestern peninsula, a warrior named Baucunar, fortified his most important village with defense walls and united most of the natives in Trinidad in ferocious opposition to the Spanish incursion on their lands. The name of this village was Kumukurapo. Well, Columbus arrives and what we're told is that Trinidad turned out to be one of the least attractive of the islands. It was further south, therefore it was the longest journey to arrive there. And the Aboriginal peoples who lived in Trinidad at the time turned out to be extremely aggressive. And also adding to that, the early questioning of the Amerindian Aboriginal peoples did not seem to show up any gold and the Spaniards were absolutely looking for gold. That lack of gold would determine the Spanish attitude towards Trinidad for nearly three more centuries. What we have in Trinidad is an abandonment actually. After Columbus comes in the 1490s, there are sporadic attempts to settle Trinidad and Trinidad really did not promise much. So we have stories of the entire 16th century of Don Antonio Cedeno, Don Antonio de Perio. I mean, there were governors like nothing who were asked to settle Trinidad and who had a lot of difficulty. The region known as Kumukurapo apparently extended from about where Woodford Square now stands west to modern day Mukurapo, from the base of the Northern Range to the Gulf of Paria. It therefore included present-day Port of Spain, Newtown, St. Clair, St. James, and, of course, Woodbrook. Baucuna and his people found the behavior and demands of the Spaniards intolerable and retaliated accordingly. In 1532, he and his forces drove the Spanish governor, Don Antonio Cedeno, off the island. Kumukarapu, some people said that the area around Port of Spain, and that would be the flat area before we get into the hills in Northern Range, was called Conquerabia. This was mentioned by Walter Raleigh, but others have subsequently said that really it was Kumukarapi or Kumukarapo, and that's where we get today the name Mukarapu from, the place of the silk cotton trees. It would appear that this was the site in the 1530s of a massacre of priests when, you know, some Spaniards pulled a fast one, landed here and tricked some of the Indians onto their boat and ran away with them to sell them as slaves because that is what Trinidad was being used for for most of the 16th century. 
So, it would appear that the earliest recorded history of the area now known as Woodbrook is as part of the strategic native village of Kumukurapo, which became the target of frequent raids by the invading Spanish for people to work as slaves in other parts of their empire. In 1592, Cacique Wanawanare granted the area around what is now called St. Joseph to the Spanish governor, Don Antonio de Berrio. St. Joseph remained the capital until 1757, when it was relocated to Puerta de España after a series of pirate attacks. Next week, we'll explore the Spanish arrival in Trinidad. What effect did it have on the indigenous people? What was happening in Trinidad and world politics in the 16th and 17th centuries? All that and more on the next episode of Growing Up Woodbrook, the podcast. In the year 1888, Woodbrook land was a Canaan state. In the year 1888, Woodbrook land was a Canaan state. It was only good I'm your host, Cecile George. Our podcast is a companion to the Growing Up Woodbrook coffee table book jointly published by the Woodbrook Residence Committee and the National Trust of Trinidad and Tobago. The book can be purchased by the National Trust's website or from many of the fine bookstores around Port of Spain and environs. Then it was given to Mr. Boyak, who knew the cultivations and the heart attacks. This podcast was made possible by the collaborative efforts of many people, including educator and historian Valerie Taylor, Warawa Shaman Raoul Simon, were our nation artist Naruki Ato Osei and music curator Sean Randu. The Growing Up Woodbrook podcast is also funded by a generous grant from the Heritage Preservation Division of the Ministry of Tourism, Culture and the Arts. The music in this episode was History of the Woodbrook Vicinity by the Mighty Growler. Sacred Ground by David Miracle from the album David R. Miracle Native Expressions. Available at www.davidrmiracle.com. Maroka Gia by Regulo Antonio Brisenio Hill. And Taino Calling Song by DJ Sanakori. Sound effects were Spanish Drums Edit by Tripe. Sourced on freesound.org a collaborative database of Creative Commons licensed sounds. In case you are sick, we also got a market and dancing hall. We even got a billion... We invite you to join us on this exciting journey through Woodbrook's history. Subscribe and spread the word. Tell a friend or ten about our podcast and our book. Want to ask a question or leave a comment? Click on the link in the show notes to record a voicemail. And we'll see you back here next week on Growing Up Woodbrook, the podcast. <laughs>